Tonight, tomorrow, is Yom HaAtzma'ot. So we're going to study tonight a series, a medley of tshuvas, dealing with the religious and halachic value of Eretz Yisrael. Specifically, the series of tshuvas we're going to do deal with the, the specific question of how do we weigh the value of living in Eretz Yisrael, the value of making Aliyah, against the value of another great mitzvah, the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim, a very uh, common scenario. A person is considering making Aliyah, but his parents are in Chutzlarts. His parents will be sad if he leaves them. His parents perhaps need his help. So the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim might normally say that a person should stay with his parents and help them and take care of them and uh, gladden their hearts by being there. But living in Eretz Yisrael is a great mitzvah as well. So what do we do? What do we do when we're faced with this dilemma? Do we choose Eretz Yisrael or do we choose our parents? Now we should note that aside from being a narrow halachic question, it's obviously also uh, goes deeper than that. It's a hashkafic question as well. It's the kind of question we can't answer, I think, fully by referring to halachic sources. Nevertheless, we're going to study tonight a series of halachic sources going back to the Rishonim and going back, going down all the way to relatively recent postkim. One of the one of the first, the first chuv on the topic, actually, of which I am aware, is by the Maram of Rattenberg, Rameir of Rattenberg, the great, uh, the outstanding German Talmud Chacham of his time. He has several chuvos dealing with the value of Eretz Yisrael. I included several, that they're all short, and I included them for context, but the one we're concerned about is one in which he directly addresses our question. So the Maram is the Maram is 13th century. The question was, Can a father object to his son who wants to make Aliyah? It's a mitzvah to go to Eretz Yisrael. And there is a general rule, that in, Kibbut, in the laws of Kibbut Aveim, it's a Gemara, we'll discuss the Gemara in more detail soon, the Gemara says that when it comes to a mitzvah, a mitzvah trumps Kibbut Aveim. Your father tells you he wants you to eat with him in a treif restaurant, to serve him tray food, he wants you to drive to him on Shabbos, so you can take care of him. You don't do that, of course. Obviously, you try to do it politely, and you try to, uh, you know, there's no mitzvah to, uh, to get into an argument. But uh, you, you can't do Averis, you can't violate mitzvahs. You can't violate mitzvahs in order to do Kibbut Aveim. So that, that's what the Maram rules. He says, if the son is faced with a conflict between going to Eretz Yisrael, making Eliyah, and acceding to his father's wishes, the halacha is, the Maram says, it is a clear-cut Gemara, he assumes. The Gemara says, mitzvahs in general override Kibbut Aveim. Kavod hamakum kodem, God's honor takes precedence over a parent's honor, and therefore, if the son is prepared to make aliyah, and the objection is his father's will, then he should not listen to his father, he should make aliyah. There, the, there was a tshuva of the Mabit. The Mabit was an achron in Egypt, and then in Eretz Yisrael in the, in the 16th century. Mabit is the, the earliest of the full-throated uh, discussions, endorsements of the view that we make Aliyah over our parents' wishes. He deals with, a, his tshuva is somewhat longer. His case was Ruvain. Ruvain lived in Chutzlarts. 
So Ruvain had uh, some kind of crisis, some kind of uh, situation in which he wanted divine assistance. So he said, he made a promise, as Jews do sometimes, he made a promise that if things would work out, then he would make Aliyah and move to Tzfas, the city of Tzfas. At that time, in the time of the Radvaz, in 16th century Eretz Yisrael, Tzfas was the center of gravity of the Jewish Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael. Tzfas, of course, was where the Arizal was, and the Beis Yosef, and the Mabit, and the Maram al-Ashkar. I'm sorry, the Mabit was not, uh, Mabit was not Egypt, the Radvaz was Egypt. The Mabit was, was Eretz Yisrael, was Tzfas. There were, there were the whole school of Chachamim, Rabbi Yaakov Beirav, and uh, there was a whole school of great Gedolim, Gedole Asfardim and Tzfas. There was a much smaller presence in Yerushalayim. But in Jewish Eretz Yisrael of the 16th century, Tzfas was the spiritual and intellectual capital of Eretz Yisrael. So this person, presumably a Sephardic Jew in, in the, the Sephardic diaspora, made a neder that if, if the outcome of some event would be the way he wanted, he made a neder that he would go live in Tzfas. And sure enough, he got what he wanted, and now he was prepared to go make Aliyah to Tzvas. His father and mother did not allow him to do so. His wife didn't want to go either. And uh, his wife said, it said in her ksuva, that he's not going to force her to leave anywhere else without her permission. This is actually a common minhag of Svardim. Ashkenazim, we have the famous cherem of Rebbeinu Gershom, the twin, the twin anathemas, the twin edicts of Rebbeinu Gershom, that a man is not allowed to marry more than one wife, and that a man can't unilaterally divorce his wife. Svardim didn't always accept the cherem, but Svardim frequently made similar undertakings, and they still do today, often in the ksuva. In the marriage settlements, they would frequently commit themselves to the same things, that they wouldn't marry more than one wife, and they wouldn't divorce unilaterally, and also certain other undertakings. And one of the common commitments that a chassan would make at the time of his wedding was he would promise his wife that he's not going to compel her to move anywhere else from, from out of their starting location, from out of some specified location against her will. So this person, he had his parents and his wife, and his wife, based on the ksuva, were all objecting. We don't want to move to Eretz Yisrael. And Kibbutz Avim is a great mitzvah. We find that Yaakov was punished for spending 22 years in the house of love and away from his parents. Now, of course, that was the reverse. His parents were in Eretz Yisrael, and he was spending time in Aram Naharayim. So that was kind of different. But the, that was the question they asked to the Mabit. So the person made an edder. He made a solemn, binding, halachic vow to make aliyah. On the other hand, his parents and his wife all object. So what's the halacha? Is an edder binding? Can he be matir edder? What should he do? What should this person do in his situation? Says the Mabit, Chayev l'kayem nidro. He is obligated to honor his vow and make aliyah. What about his parents' commandments? not obligated to be concerned for them. And he brings, he brings the Gemara, that if the, that he brings a version of the Gemara in Yuvamas, that, a, that parents are not allowed, and are not entitled to ask their, their child, Kibbutz does not apply when they ask their child to violate a mitzvah. Here too, he says, the parents are also obligated to live in Eretz Yisrael. And he's not going to be punished for not, for not doing Kibbutz Avim. They can go to Eretz Yisrael as well. They can do, and, then he, and then he can do two mitzvahs. And then he can do uh, Eretz Yisrael and Kibbutz Avim. They don't want to. That's on them, he says. They're perfectly capable, he assumes, of going to Eretz Yisrael. May not always be the case, but in his case, Nabit assumes parents could, could, are free to go to Eretz Yisrael. If they choose not to, they can't then come and say the child has to stay behind. 
and uh, and so on. And he says that here certainly he says this applies over here. Certainly he says this applies over here. He says that that the every mitzvah every mitzvah overrides kibbutz avayim. Certainly the mitzvah certainly the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael that the that that, that overrides the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael and. In our case, he says, uh, it's not really a contradiction. They can go as well, he says. They, they can go with him. He can take care of them while they go. He can take care of them when they get to Eretz Yisrael. And they all, they all should go. They should go as well, he says. They don't want to go. Okay, they don't want to go. But, uh, but, but they can't fault him for going and not taking care of them. Furthermore, he says, here he has two mitzvahs. The mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael. The mitzvah fulfilling his nether. What about Yaakov? Yaakov was punished. On the contrary, he says, Yaakov was punished because he was out of Eretz Yisrael. And after he found a wife, his parents told him to find a wife. After he got his wife, he should have returned. He should have returned to take, take care of his parents in Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, he says, had he been in Eretz Yisrael, and they would have been in Chutzlarts, he wouldn't have been punished. But here, everything was against him. His parents were in Eretz Yisrael, he was in Chutzlarts, and he, was, he wasn't doing Kibbutz Aveim, that's why he was punished. But absolutely, he says, a child is not obligated to stay in Chutzlarts to take care of his parents. He should, he should go to Eretz Yisrael, they should go to Eretz Yisrael, and if they don't, they certainly have no claim upon him to stay behind if, uh, if, if he wants to go to Eretz Yisrael. What about being Mater Neder? We often say a person can be Mater Neder if he wants to. Nope, can't be Mater Neder, he says. Why? Even without a Neder, he has to go to Eretz Yisrael, he says. And, then, and, that, and again, that, that, that overrides Kibbut Avayim. That how can you be Mater Neder if it's something you have to do anyway, he says. And uh, certainly, he says, you want to be Mater Neder to do an Isser, he says. You can be Mater Neder to do a Mitzvah. He says, you want to be Mater Neder not to make Aliyah and do an Isser and stay in Chutzlar? What kind of business is that, he says. Of course you should go to Eretz Yisrael. Of course you should not be Mater Neder. Your parents, your parents want you. Let them come with you, he says. They don't want to. That's their business. They have no further claim on you. This Mabit is a remarkably strong tshuva. You're actually doing an Isser if you live in Chutzlart. There were, there were many Gedolim who lived in Chutzlart, and at that time, at that time as well, there were many uh, there were many Jews who lived in Chutzlart. To say they were all doing an Isser is a little hard to swallow. Many many poskim do raise the question: What is the heter to live in Chutzlart? Why don't we have an obligation, if possible, to move to Eretz Yisrael? They they grapple with the question. They give all kinds of justifications. It was dangerous. The travel was dangerous. Parnassah was very hard in Eretz Yisrael. Maram himself mentions is the question of Bittel Torah. If a person is, uh, studies Torah in Chutzlarts and won't have the same opportunity in Eretz Yisrael, that's a reason not to go to Eretz Yisrael. So, so there are a lot of reasons why people might not go to Eretz Yisrael. Some of these reasons are more compelling, some less compelling, some do apply Bismanazeh, some don't apply Bismanazeh. But Mabit, Mabit is a remarkably strong tshuva. He's, he's echoing the Maram. He doesn't bring the Maram, but he says, he says the same thing as the Maram. That Kibbutz Aim overrides uh, that that, that Yishev Eretz Yisrael moving to Eretz Yisrael overrides Kibbutz Aim. Not only that, but uh, in his case, he was a Neder as well. But not only does the is the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael more important than Kibbutz Aim overrides the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim. It's actually an Isser to stay behind in Chutzlarz. He says his parents should go with him as well. This is something that I have often noted in different contexts in halacha. Poskim in Eretz Yisrael are often in a certain sense, more pro-Eretz Yisrael than post-Kim and Chutzlarts. When people ask questions about, you know, I live in Eretz Yisrael two months a year, I have an apartment there, I go back, I go forth, I have my wife is here, and uh, kids are there, and so on, and you want to know, should I keep two days, one day, one and a half days, one and three quarters days? People have these questions that uh, people often remark, post-Kim and Eretz Yisrael 
are typically much more, uh, often much more in favor of one day, and post and Chutzlarts are more, uh, often considered more strongly two days. So here also, the Mabit lived in Eretz Yisrael, and he certainly was uh, very emphatic that that's what a person has to do. I don't know, the post and Chutzlarts sometimes were a little more uh, circumspect about it. We saw the Maram. The Maram lived in Germany, lived and died in Germany. He still thought that a person who wants to and can make Aliyah should do so against his parents' will. But the Mabit, for all his, with all his full-throated language about how it's an issue to be in Chutzlarts, and of course you should go to Eretz Yisrael, and of course you can't be Mater Neder, and let the parents go as well. Mabit lived in Eretz Yisrael, it's worth noting, but that is what, that is what, the, what the Mabit ruled. So we have, so far we've mentioned the Maram, who in a very brief couple of lines says that, that the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael overrides a parent's will. We have the Mabit, who rules essentially the same thing at, great, at greater length and with more force, that the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael is more important and overrides the mitzvah of Kibar Abayim, particularly because they can go to Eretz Yisrael as well, your parents. And also, in his case, there was a neder involved as well. The third major tshuva on, on this question is a couple of centuries later, in the 18th century, by Rabbi Huda Ayash. Rabbi Huda Ayash was a great uh, North African, a great Algerian posik, great Sephardic posik from, from North Africa. He was asked the question, his tshuva is dated in the year Tough Pay Gimel. That is 17, 1723 or so. It was Elul, so, 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 so it was 1723. He says, there was a young man, a son, I don't know if he was young, but a son who was a Talmud Chacham, and he was idealistic, Nodva Rucho. He wanted to go again to Irakodesh Tzvas. He wanted to go to the holy city of Tzvas. The objection was very similar to the Mabitz case. He has a father and a mother who are greatly distressed by his absence, and they object. They say he shouldn't leave them. They, they, don't, they don't want him to leave at all. Is he obligated to listen to them because of the mitzvah of honoring your parents? Is he going to be punished if he abandons his parents? By he's, he's compl- it's not just a one-time thing. He's not going to be available to them for a week while he's traveling. This is lifetime. You, you, you didn't fly back and forth as easily as you do today. People did travel, but it was a much more, uh, a much more complicated undertaking. So he would not be doing Kibbut Aim on a long-term basis for, an ex- for much of his life, much, most, or all his life. He would be abandoning the mitzvah of Kibbut Aim, very similar to the question of the Mabit. So once again, he starts with the basic rule of the Gemara, that when there's a conflict between a mitzvah and Kibbut Aim, then the other mitzvahs, other Averis, uh, take precedence over Kibbut Aim. The Gemara's examples in Bav Metziah, it says, if the father tells you to become Tame, it's in order to serve him, to, to visit him, to bring him something, he tells the, the son to become Tame, and the son is a Kohen. Now let him become Tame Mace. Or he tells him not to return in Aveda. For whatever reason, the father doesn't want him to do Ashavas Aveda. So you might think you should listen to your father, honor thy father and mother in the Ten Commandments. So the, the Gemara says, the Brasi says, no. Ish imov of tirov as shabsosek tishmaru ani Hashem. Pasuk says that, that a man shall honor, shall 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 have fear and reverence for his father and mother, mother and father. But as shabsosek tishmaru ani Hashem. But you should also keep my Shabbos. I am Hashem. I am Hashem. And the Gemara explains. The Brice explains the pasuk kulchem chayavim bechvodi that honor your father and mother, but not at the expense of Shabbos. Ani Hashem, I'm Hashem, I'm, I'm your God, I'm your father's God as well. Your father and mother have an obligation to revere me and, and to honor me, and therefore 
mitzvahs, God's mitzvahs override, God's mitzvahs override Kibbutz Excuse me, Rabbi. Yes. Right. How can that? How can it be simplified to just simply? Well, they don't want me to go. They get, they should go themselves. You know, practically speaking, older people can't travel and move to Israel so easily. You know. Right. So, like so Jay is raising the question, which I alluded to in the beginning of the share, that the postkin we're going to see tonight analyze this question through a fairly technical technical halachic perspective. I, I, it seems to me, Libby Umerly, that there is, uh, that to answer this question properly, you really have to have a somewhat uh, deeper perspective, a somewhat more subtle and sophisticated perspective. It's not, it's not I, I agree with your basic point, it's not purely a, uh, a halakhic question that you can answer like meat and milk, that, that, that you have to consider the, the reality of what your presence here actually means to the parents, whether it's actually taken care, as you said, whether it's simply the emotional connections to the parents, and so on. And you have to consider you know, what you'll do in Eretz Israel as well. So I agree that that that, that it would seem I, I would suspect if you asked Gedolei uh, Torah today, if you asked Poskin today, many of them would probably approach the question through a, with a more with considering some more subtle factors. It is an interesting question that we're going to consider tonight. Six, eight, ten Poskim who all discuss this question. None of them adopt this particularly nuanced and uh, and uh, moderate perspective. They they, they all. They all uh, they, they all approach the question through pretty pretty uh, technical, pretty legalistic considerations about the mitzvah of Kibbutz Avayim and the mitzvah of moving to Eretz Yisrael and so on. So it is an interesting question. I'm I'm, I'm not sure what to say about that. Uh, I noted earlier that the Mabit keeps keep several times mentions the parents can go to Eretz Yisrael as well. So yes, what what would the Mabit say if the parents can't go to Eretz Yisrael? What if they're too uh, infirm to travel and they can't? That's a good question. So again, when, when, when parents say we can't go to Eretz Yisrael, that can mean one of two things. Sometimes it means we really can't. Uh, our health simply would be dangerous for us to travel. Sometimes it means we're comfortable here, our friends are here, and we don't really feel like moving. Sometimes it means that you know, we're old enough, we just don't feel like uh, new things. So the halacha, halacha or the hashkafa would certainly weigh those things differently. Saying I can't travel because it's dangerous is obviously a much, uh, a much more compelling uh, counter-argument then, I would rather not travel because my friends are here. So, the, nevertheless, even if it, I, I don't mean to minimize entirely those considerations as well, uprooting your life is not an easy thing. It's, uh, it, it, it can be quite difficult, and, and, uh, you know, the, the, and, and we, we understand that as well. So, it, it is, however, true, Postcom don't really consider, don't really consider that. Mabit is particularly blunt about it. He just completely dismisses any, any claim the parents have to want to stay where they are. 
I haven't seen all the other posts we're going, to stu- we're going to discuss tonight as well don't really engage this question either. How practical is it for the parents to move or not? They just kind of take it for granted. The parents live here and they want to know, uh, is the son obligated to respect that by, by living here or not? But you're right, there is very much a human dimension here, and it's more than just a technical kibbutz aim, like standing up for the parent and showing him respect. This goes much deeper than that, and you're right, it's the, I think that would have to be considered, although, again, as we'll see, postkims do not really focus on this, they just, uh, they just analyze it through the lens of technical halacha, at least the postkim I saw. Just, just to... Uh, Yeah, so, right. (laughs) Is that a bad, the sort of the child somehow in a deep down has this bad conscience of the fear of being, you know, persecuted after after death if he doesn't, is that right, if he doesn't follow what his parents say? Is that what that is? So, so, so you're right. Chivra Kever is is a kind of, uh, you know, spiritual punishment, Midrashim talk about, that people experience after death. I, I don't know that the specific Chibur HaKever is referring specifically to the, you know, the conscience issue of not following the parents. I, I think the context there was just a general context of Midrashim talk about how a person is punished in the afterlife, that when God brings him back to life, when God brings him to Eretz Yisrael, he's going to suffer by having to uh, experience some types of torments uh, in the afterlife, and those are ameliorated or, or eliminated by being buried in Eretz Yisrael, and, and, and the question, I think, just was that, that, uh, that, that someone asked the Maram, is it true that, is it true that you don't suffer Chibur HaKever if you're in Eretz Yisrael? Maram says, I don't know. He, uh, oh, he, he simply, you. frankly, thank admits you. he's not thank sure. You. I didn't Thanks. totally, I totally Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, thank you. But in any event, I, just again, considering the points that are being raised from another perspective, we, we studied this Juva the Mabit several years ago in, in this series, we studied this. Uh, we, we studied this tshuva in the Mabit in uh, about three years ago. The context there was we were focusing on on, on, a, on the general question of should a person listen to his parents about major life decisions. At the at the time, we we noted that there were three main cases postkim discuss. One is Eretz Yisrael, the tshuvas we're discussing tonight. The other is marriage. The Marik talks uh, has a has a has a has a has an amazing tshuva about a man, a really romantic tshuva about a man who wanted to marry a certain woman, and his parents objected. His father objected. Should he listen to his father? The Marik said no for several reasons. One of which is it's a mitzvah to love your wife, and if you marry someone you don't love to please your father, you're violating a mitzvah in the Torah, and you have to marry the the choice of your heart. And the third issue is limudat Torah. If a person wants to study in yeshiva and his father wants him to go to university, other cases where the father has requests that will interfere with his ability to study Torah. So in all three of these cases, Postkim discuss what, what do you do? Do you, do you do the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael, of Torah, of marriage, or do you listen to your father? The general approach is the same one we're, that we've seen tonight so far, that in general, if there is a clear-cut mitzvah, or even a not-so-clear-cut mitzvah, if we decide it's a mitzvah, that takes precedence over your father's wishes. There's even a Tshuva in the Truma Sedeshin who talked about a case where the son wanted to travel and study in a certain yeshiva, 
in a different country, away from home, the father objected, not because he didn't want him to learn Torah, but the father was nervous. It was apparently a dangerous, uh, dangerous region. And the father wanted him to learn. He can learn at home. He can learn in some other yeshiva. Kumar says, no, a person's success in, in the study of Torah is not, uh, yeshivas are not fungible. They're not, e- they're not, equally, they're not equal and interchangeable. And if, if, if you have determined that, that your accomplishment in Torah will be greatest if you study somewhere else, that's where you have to study. And if your father says no, then he's telling you to violate a mitzvah. So in general, this is the approach of the, of the poskim that when there's a mitzvah involved, you don't listen to your, your father. It's not so simple. For example, in the case of marriage, so the Nitziv in Meshav Dover, the Nitziv distinguishes between a case where your father just doesn't want you to or a case where he'll actually suffer degradation and humiliation if you marry this woman for some reason. So poskim do make some more, some distinctions. But in, in, Eretz, in the context of Eretz Yisrael that we're, doing, that we're focusing on tonight, it is striking that the poskim do not engage in, a, uh, in, in, in much of a nuanced discussion. They simply try to weigh in the abstract, as we've been seeing so far, they weigh in the abstract the, 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 the magnitude of the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael against the magnitude of the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aveim. And so far, we've considered the first group of poskim, Maram of Rattenberg, the Mabit, the, the Mabit, or Moshe of Trani, and the and Yehuda Ayash, the Beis Yehuda. These are the three great opinions who say that the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael overrides and takes precedence over the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aveim. Now, now we'll turn to a very amusing, I don't know if amusing is the right word, but a, a very entertaining disagreement between two great Gedolei Torah, two Israeli Gedolei Torah of the mid-20th century. One was Rabbi Yitzchak Nisim, Sephardic chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, prior to this interchange, great Talmud Chacham in Eretz Yisrael in the mid-last century. And the other is Rabbi Yitzchak Yehuda Waldenberg, the author of the Tzitz Eliezer. So Rabbi Yitzhak Nisim, in his sefer, in his sefer Yayin Hatov, he was asked the following question. It's, it's noteworthy that the, 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 his correspondent was Rav Shlomo Zalman Shragai, a, a, a leading, uh, no, a, a noted Dati Lumi uh, writer, educator, uh, thinker. So he was asked by Rav, Rav Shlomo Zalman Shragai the following question. There are youth groups in, in Chutzlarts, Akiva maybe, or other ones, there are Zionist youth groups in the diaspora, and they are educating, indoctrinating, brainwashing, I'm not sure what the right word is, but they are encouraging their charges to make Eretz Yisrael, even against the will of the parents. The, these youth groups are telling the kids, Eretz Yisrael is wonderful, you should go there, even if your parents say no. That's what these youth groups are doing. The question is, is that right? Is that the right thing to do? Should we be educating children to make Aliyah against the will of their parents. What about Kibbutz Aveim? So that's what Rabbi Shragai asked Rav Nisim. Rav Nisim's tshuva is pretty succinct, pretty uh, uh, unremarkable, I mean unremarkable in that he simply applies the halacha, the halachic tradition that we've seen. He quotes the Mabit, he quotes Rabbi Yehuda Ayash and Beis Yehuda, of the, he, he doesn't quote the Maram, but, but he quotes these two other great earlier Svardik Boskim. He says, okay, this is a, it's a fairly brief tshuva, it's about half a page long. He says that, uh, he says, okay, I've, we, I've, I've shown you two, two tshuvas of the Gedolei Boskim, both of whom have said that the mitzvah of Yishevar Yisrael overrides Kibbutz Therefore, the conclusion is inescapable, he says, 
the Tnuot Hanoar B'chutzlarts. The youth movements in, in Chutzlarts are permitted, he says, to mechanech and lahachsher, to educate and to, uh, you know, to, to mold and shape the youth, laliyah laaretz, to make aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, even against the will of the parents, afbini good l'ritzon harehem, as long, he says, she'echinucham l'fim Eretz Yisrael. As long as the chinuch is according to Eretz Yisrael, not sure exactly what he means by that, it should be a religious, religious youth movement, not a secular one, but provided that this Zionism, that this Zionist uh, teaching, Zionist inculcation, is being done within the framework of Messaris Yisrael, he says, they are absolutely permitted to do so, even against the will of, even if they're encouraging the children to make aliyah, against the will of the parents. Now, Rabbi Yehudah Waldenberg has a letter in, in response to Rabbi Nisim, his great friend, the former chief rabbi of Israel, Rishon Lutian, Svardik chief rabbi, Rav Harashi, chief rabbi of Israel, the government. He says, apparently, Rav Nisim, as, as is customary among Torah scholars, when he published his sefer, he sent a copy to, to Rav Waldenberg. This is customary among Gedolei Torah. They would send copies of the Sfarim to each other when they published them. Rav Waldenberg is, uh, is, uh, expresses very warm, and, uh, very, very warm and positive feelings to Rav Nisim. I was delightfully surprised, he says, by receiving in the post, Beis HaDoar, the, your Torah, your, your important sefer, Yayin HaTov, I was uh, so excited to read it, he says. I browsed through it. I read a piece here and a piece there. And it was wonderful, he says. And uh, it was great. And, and you discussed Halacha Lamaisa, and I was very happy to read it. And then he says, uh, as, as Gidole Torah often do, he says, just to show my, my affection and respect for the Debrei Torah, for you, I'm going to comment on it just to engage you in the Torah. And he picked this simon to comment on. He says, you wrote that, uh, that it's an open and shut case that the, the youth movement's are correct, are permitted to, to educate their charges, to make aliyah against the will of their parents, he says, I'm not convinced that you're right, he says. I, I'm, it's not so clear to me, despite the fact that you brought uh, two, two major Gedolei Aposkim who seem to say that, I'm not sure you're right. So for, first, before he even brings his dissenting view, he says, if you wanted to marshal sources, I have another really good one for you, he says, I'm surprised you missed. He quotes a tshuva in the Sefer Me'il Tzedakah. Mil Tzedakah was a sefer of Rav Yonah Lansofer, one of the great European achronim, Ashkenazic achronim of several hundred years ago. He has a, a great tshuva. We, we, we've discussed this one also in, within this framework of reading responsa. He has a marvelous tshuva about... It wasn't actually about Kibar Aveim. It was actually about... There, there, was, there was a group of three idealistic families, Jewish families in Europe, who wanted to make aliyah. It involved a boat ride or a, 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 a trip by ship and they were going to take their families with them, the community, the local based in, the local community objected because they felt it was dangerous, and they felt they were in loco parentis, they felt they had to stop the, the parents from bringing their children. Child protective services that were being brought in, you can't risk your children's life on the voyage. Mil Tzedakah did not agree, he felt the danger was acceptable, it was, it was below a threshold of problematically high danger, that's a whole separate topic about how, how dangerous, uh, how much risk can you undertake for the midst of going to Eretz Yisrael, but he felt that the risk was relatively low, and therefore permitted for themselves, permitted for their children, so he felt the basin was wrong, the basin, the, the local authorities were wrong in trying to stop them from making Aliyah. But in the course of the tshuva, Rav Waldenberg points out that Rav Lansofer raised, discusses the objection that you're disrespecting the basin, the basin said no, you can't go. 
Maybe you have an obligation to defer to them, to cover for the, for the basin, cover for Chachamim, to, to, to obey what they want to do, to, to obey what they tell you to do. He says, Rav Sofer, no. He says, you know why that's not correct? I have a Mabit. Mabit says, uh, when a person is faced with objection by his parents, misguided objection by his parents to making Aliyah, he should ignore it and go to Eretz Yisrael, he says. And, uh, and, and if he ignores that, he should ignore the basin as well, he says. That it's true a person has an obligation to be respectful, to be respectful to a basin, he says. But, uh, but he says, Mabit says, no, Mabit says that it doesn't work like that, that, that you have to do the right thing to go to Eretz Yisrael, regardless of who will be offended and displeased with your decision. Therefore, Rav Lansofer as well seems to assume Mabit is correct, and he applies it to Bastin. So we can put him also on the list of people who assume that the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael overrides your obligations of respect, of Kibbut Aim and so on. All this notwithstanding, though, Rav Waldenberg says, he has a number of objections, a number of reasons why he doesn't think Rav Nisim's conclusion is really correct. So first he brings another tshuva that we have not quoted, a tshuva of the Tashbats. Tashbats is Rabbi Shimon ben Semach Duran, 14th, 14th century, again, North African, Rishon. So the Tashbats has a tshuva about Yishev Eretz Yisrael in general, a famous tshuva about the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael. In the course of the tshuva, this wasn't really the focus of the tshuva, this was kind of a, a, a one, line, one, one line in passing that he mentions. He says... There's a, there's a halacha, the Gemara says, you're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael, to Chutzlaretz. The only reasons, you're, the only exceptions, the only legitimate justifications for leaving Eretz Yisrael are to study Torah, he says. There, there are one or two other exceptions as well, but he mentioned studying Torah, or because of Kibbut Aveim. Tashpat says that the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim is a sufficiently good reason for leaving Eretz Yisrael. Says Rav Waldenberg, if it's a sufficiently good reason for leaving Eretz Yisrael, then certainly it's a sufficiently good reason for not going to Eretz Yisrael. So that seems to be in contradiction to the Mabit. So he says, maybe we can say it's not really a contradiction. Maybe they're about equal. Maybe Yishev Eretz Yisrael and Kibbut Aveim are, uh, are exactly balanced. So you can do whatever you want. If you, if you want to leave to go, to, to go help your parents, you can do that. You can certainly stay behind if you want. If you want to go to Eretz Yisrael, you can go. So the, because they're, they're about equal, so it's not really a contradiction. doesn't really read very well in the Mabit. The Mabit uh, keeps telling him he has to go. He had a netter over there, but he keeps, he keeps implying that it's an open and shut case, that the Eretz Yisrael is more important. He doesn't say that they're equal. But uh, nevertheless, the, the Tashbats does say this, that the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim would even override the, the imperative to stay in Eretz Yisrael. So the, the Rav Waldenberg, and he holds up a Pesachet Tshuva who made this point already, points out this, this Tashbat seems to, seems to cast some doubt upon the holding of the Mabit, that it's an open and shut case, Eretz Yisrael is more important than Kibbut Aveim. Tashbat seems to say that it's not so simple, that, that, that it might actually be, Kibbut Aveim might actually trump the mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael. Another source he brings that also seems to say that in general, Kibbut Aveim overrides Eretz Yisrael, is a comment of Rapinchas Horowitz. Rapinchas Horowitz was the author of a number of great classics for him, the, Se- the Hafla and Mesechus Ksuvos, the Sefer Amikna and Mesechus Kedushin, and also the Sefer Panim Yafos Al HaTorah. Panim Yafos was, was a rabbinic commentary on Chumash. So the Hafla writes, Rav Horowitz writes in his Panim Yafos, which again is not exactly a halachic work, but you know, he discusses halacha as well. So in the Panim Yafos he writes, he brings a Midrash 
that when, when Hashem ordered Avram Avinu, Avram at the time, to go to Eretz Canaan, he, the, the Pasuk says the eponymous Pasuk is Lech Lecha, the parashas Lech Lecha begins with Lech Lecha, go to Eretz Canaan. The Midrash says Lecha or Lech, there are different Gersos, and he potes him Mikibur and the, the Panam Yafa seems to have had the girsa of Lecha to you, the danger of not having the kudos, some read it Lech, which would mean a different Lech, Lech, go, you're exempt from Kibber Aveim, but the Panam Yafa understands the Midrash is saying, you, you are exempt from Kibber Aveim. What does that mean, you? Why you as opposed to anybody else? Panam Yafa says, normally if a person's father is in Chutzlaret, there is no mitzvah to go to Eretz Yisrael. Because the mitzvah of Israel is not Docha Kibber Aveim, but to you, Dafka, to you, your potter from Kibber Aveim. Why? Because Terach is a Russia. Terach is Eina Osamase Amcha. Many mitzvahs in the Torah, many mitzvahs, Bradan Lachavero, mitzvahs that someone has to another, are, uh, are uh, evaporate if the, if the recipient is, is a Russia who's not Osamase Amcha. Terach doesn't deserve Kibber Aveim. But la'acher, to somebody else who has a father in good standing, then the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael is not docha, the mitzvah of kibbut Aveim. So once again, like the Tashbat, not like the Mabit and the Maram and the Rabbi Yudayash, the Panam Yafos, like the Tashbat, seems to say that under normal circumstances where a person's father is a, uh, is a Jew in good standing, then the mitzvah of, kibbut, the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael does not override the mitzvah of kibbut Aveim. So the... Rav Waldenberg goes on, and he brings, uh, he continues discussing this question. He has numerous uh, subtle arguments back and forth. He makes a further point that even Rabbi Hudayash, who says unequivocally that the person should go to Tzvas and disregard his parents, if you read the Tshuva carefully, he says it's not really so simple. It's not as open and shut as you might think. The final paragraph in, in Rabbi Hudayash is, he says that this fellow who wanted to make Aliyah and go to Tzvas he says he actually was doing two mitzvahs. He was, he, he was going to Eretz Yisrael to Tzvas. He was also going to study Torah. He was also going to learn in Yeshiva and Tzvas, apparently. He's doing two mitzvahs. Tarte, he says. So that, of course, he says, overrides Kibber Aveim. Even though the parents will be very upset, they'll have great tsar. But certainly, he says, for the dual mitzvah of Talmud Torah and Eretz Yisrael, that overrides the parents. That overrides the Kibber Aveim. Says Rav, says Rav Waldenberg, it's one by itself might not be enough. Going to Eretz Yisrael without Torah might not be enough to override Kibbut Aveim. As a matter of fact, he says, if you read the Tshuva, the, the Beis Yehudah's Tshuva more carefully, he says, I, I didn't excerpt that part, but he says, if, if you read the Tshuva carefully, you'll see, he has an interesting question. Rabbi Yudayash asks, the Gemara says, we see how great the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is, the Gemara Megillah says, we see how the, the, the incredible value of Talmud Torah, because... He says, he says, the Gemara Megillah says, because all the years that Yaakov was studying Torah in Beis Shem Ve'ever, according to the Midrashic chronology, when Yaakov was away from his parents, first he went, he went to Shem Ve'ever for 14 years, then he was in the house of Lavan for 22 years, seven years he worked, for, he worked first for Rachel, then another seven years after Lavan tricked him, then six more years for the sheep, and then two more years, uh, two more years on the road returning. So first he was there for 14 years at Shem Ve'ever, and then 22 years in Lavan and on the return trip. So the, Midr- the Chazal say he was punished, Midah Kenegin Midah, for the 22 years he was away. He was punished, that Yosef was away from him from the age of 17 to 39, 22 years. But he wasn't punished for the 14 years of Shem Ve'ever. Gemara Megillah says, you see from that, 
the great value of the study of Torah. So Rehudayash asks, what do you mean the study of Talmud Torah? Any mitzvah overrides Kibbutz Avayim. We're, we're telling you, a person with any other mitzvah to do, we, that would also override Kibbutz Avayim. What's so special about Torah? So Rabbi Yash has multiple terutzim for this question. One of them is that it's true that we say that any mitzvah in the world overrides Talmud Torah. That's only on a short-term, temporary basis. Your father says, please come over tonight and help me, uh, help me do something. And you say, I have a very important, I have a mitzvah to do tonight. Okay, the mitzvah overrides. But if your mitzvah is going to involve long-term staying away from your parents, it's going to involve a, uh, an ongoing, extended uh, bittle of, of, of Kibar Aim, then we say, no, then you can't abrogate Kibar Aim long-term unless it's for the exceptional mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Yaakov was away for 14 years at Shem Ever. Such a long-term bittel of Kibar Aim would not be justified by any other mitzvah, only by Talmud Torah, because Godol Talmud Torah. You see how great the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is. Says Rav Waldenberg, although he has other answers to this question, but according to this approach, it follows that the, that the ordinary mitzvah of Aliyah would not be Dalcha Kibar Aim. It was only the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. That's why, in his conclusion, he says that, in his particular case, where there was both the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, of learning in yeshiva somewhere, and the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael, then it's clearly Dalcha Kibar Aim, even on a long-term basis. Says Rav Waldenberg, but there's no proof that the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael itself would, would, would be Dalcha Kibar Aim on a long-term basis, according to Rav Yehudayash. One could argue, of course, that Eretz Yisrael is not an ordinary mitzvah either. Eretz Yisrael is also, Chazal discussed at great length, the incredible importance and significance of living in Eretz Yisrael. Someone who lives in Chutzlars is like he has no God. Someone who lives in Eretz Yisrael, every, every four Amas is a mitzvah. It's like he does have a God. So one could argue that that mitzvah also is, 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 is like Talmud Torah, that it overrides Kibar Aim. But in any event, Rav Waldenberg makes the, the classic halachic argument that if you read the actual holding, the actual, in, in law they talk, about, uh, they talk about dicta and holdings, which part of a decision are binding, which part are just uh, analysis that might not be binding, and conclusions that are stated but are not the, the primary holding and don't have the same value as precedent or whatever. So in, in Chuvas we work the same way. If a Posik says that under circumstances X, Y, Z, I think this is the halacha, it's not always clear how we can say only X, Y, Z together, or about X and Y by itself. So the bottom line is, Rav Waldenberg makes the, the cogent halachic argument since that Rabbi Yasha's conclusion is that in his particular case, where he was doing the dual mitzvah of Talmud Torah and Yishev Eretz Yisrael, it certainly overrides Kibar Aim. You can't necessarily infer from that that even the mitzvah of, of Eretz Yisrael by itself would override, would override Kibar Aim, particularly in light of the fact that in the course of his analysis, he mentions the possibility that no mitzvah except Talmud Torah, which is an extraordinarily important mitzvah, overrides Kibar Aim on a long-term basis, even if they do in general on a short-term basis. So therefore, the Rav Waldenberg, after making all these points, after, after invoking the Tashbats, which the earlier poskim didn't cite, and after invoking the Panam Yafos, which Rav Nisim didn't, uh, didn't mention, and after pointing out that the basic Yudas conclusion itself is not entirely, uh, not entirely clear, he says, so he says that his bottom line is, because of all these considerations I've raised, he says, I think, he doesn't say Rav Nisim is wrong, but he says, I think, Ein hadover borer kolkach. I don't think it's as clear as you do. I don't think it's quite so black and white that we should permit the, the youth groups in the Chutzlaretz to teach and inculcate the, the desire to make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, again, even against the will of the parents. 
He says, Harbe, Yesh Harbe Lishka, Lachish Bazeh. There's a great deal that we really have to carefully consider before we allow such a thing. We really have to consider very carefully the, the, the potential violation of Kibbutz Aveim, which is a very severe mitzvah, a very stringent mitzvah. Therefore, he says, and he, he concludes by just wishing him brachos and, uh, and, and, and felicity. He was around the Yom Naram, apparently. So that is his conclusion. So what do we have? We have, we have a number of classic tshuvas of the early poskim, tshuva of the Maram, which most of the later poskim didn't mention. We have uh, the, the Maram, is, is, the Maram is, an, is an extraordinarily important authority. The, the Maram carries tremendous weight in halacha. We have the Maram, we have the Mabit, we have the Beis Yehuda, we have the Mel Tzedakah who seems to endorse the Mabit. We have a number of tshuvas who say fairly unequivocally that the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael overrides the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aveim. Opposed to that, we have the Tashbats, who seems to imply to the contrary, you can even leave Eretz Yisrael for purposes of Kibbutz Aveim. We have the Panam Yafos, again, not really writing in a halachic context, but who makes the claim, who does make the halachic claim that Eretz Yisrael does not override Kibbutz Aveim. We have uh, Rav Walden, we have Rav Waldenberg, who's, who, who's not really convinced of, uh, that, that it's quite so one-sided. He thinks that we need a we need to pay serious attention to the post on the other side. We have to be very careful before overriding Kibbutz Aveim. On the other hand, we have Rav Nisim, who thought it was an open and shut case that the Iker Lahalacha is we follow the Mabit and the Beis Yehuda, that Yish of Eretz Yisrael, the, the great mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael, overrides the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aveim. As we mentioned, it seems to me, Libi Omerli, that you really do have to consider the real-world consequences. Kibbutz Aveim as an abstraction is one thing. How much your parents really need you, both actually need you to actually take care of you, as Jay was saying, and emotionally, you know, how hard it will be, how hard it will be for them to, uh, to be without you. Those are, I think those are, you know, serious, real considerations that it's not always possible to just approach the question strictly from the perspective of these formal halakha categories. On the other hand, the halakha categories certainly do have to inform any, any decision that one reaches, and, uh, and certainly this is the halakhic framework that uh, the overall trend, I, I, seems to me, comes down on the side of Eretz Yisrael, but there is also the, the countervailing school of thought that is championed by Rav Waldenberg. And as I mentioned earlier, you really have to set this whole discussion within the framework of the broader question about how much respect do I have to pay to my parents when it comes to mitzvahs or even life decisions in general. So when it comes to learning Torah, for example, other postkim, Rav Adi Yosef and others have said, it's, uh, again, it's black and white. If the, if the son wants to learn Torah father doesn't want him to, then the father has no right to object. Again, what would happen if the father really needs him, the father is really infirm, and there's nobody to take care of him if the son goes away to yeshiva? Maybe that's different. But in general, if the father has a desire that the child not learn Torah, we generally disregard that. Similarly for marriage, if, the, if a parent wants a child not to, uh, not to marry a certain person, again, then uh, normally we disregard that. We should note, though, that in those cases, it doesn't usually actively harm or interfere with the father's comfort directly. One of the reasons Postkim say you don't listen to your father in those cases is because the Marik gave three reasons why you don't listen. One of the reasons was your father is only entitled to make demands on you when it is directly involves his interest, taking care of him, feeding him, helping him get dressed. Just because he doesn't want you to do something in your personal life, that he has no right to do. That's a big machlokas akronim. We discussed that in other contexts. That applies more in the cases of yeshiva or in the cases of, uh, of marriage where your father's comfort is, not direct, is often not directly infringed by your doing this, but the father doesn't want you to do it, and his will is being thwarted. But the case of making aliyah, 
as Jay was pointing out, is more than just his will. Very often, the case of Aliyah, it actively prevents you from doing Kibbutz Yaakov wasn't able to take care of his parents for 14 years, especially as parents get older. They may very well need uh, help from their children, and you actually won't be able. Again, today you can fly back, but it's not the same thing as actually living there. So again, the, here, the, on the one hand, the, the formal halacha is, uh, leans somewhat strongly in favor of making Eliyah even against one's parents, but I think that uh, before one makes an actual decision, you have to consider, A, the, as a Sicily Ezer does, that it's not quite clear-cut, that there are some posts who come down on the other side, and B, you have to weigh, I think, the, the real-world uh, considerations of exactly how, exactly how much your parents actually need you, and exactly uh, how, how hurt emotionally, and how, how much suffering they'll have, how much psychic pain they'll have. If you leave, you have to carefully weigh that against the, the great mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael. I'll just conclude by, by noting, I often like to note, most Jews, I think still it's the majority, most Jews in the world don't live in Eretz Yisrael. As we've said, Achronim over the, Rishonim, Achronim over the years have grappled with the question of why not. Many of the answers they've given are no longer relevant. They used to talk about how dangerous the trip was, caravans and voyages through pirate-infested waters. Many of the reasons don't apply anymore. Some of the reasons still do apply. But uh, in any event, the, the, the Rishonim and Achronim have, have grappled with this question for many centuries. I, I always like to say it's obvious, but if a person seriously considers making Aliyah, and he comes up with all these reasons why he can't, he has to very carefully consider, are these uh, reasons justifications for a foregone conclusion? It's his preference to say in Chutzlar, and he comes up with all these reasons to justify it? Or are they genuinely reasons why he thinks that's what God wants of him to say in Chutzlar, and it's, uh, it's difficult to make that decision where, where obviously you are a very interested party, but uh, at the very least, I think that's, uh, that, that, that's what's demanded of us. We have to honestly think, well, we stay in Chutzlarts. Why do we stay in Chutzlarts? I'm staying here too, but we have to think honestly. Why do we stay in Chutzlarts? We, we can all come up with lots of reasons, but we have to consider, are these reasons justifications for our foregone conclusions, or are these uh, genuinely serious reasons that, uh, is this genuinely what we think that God wants of us? May we all merit the coming of Mashiach. May we be able to go to Eretz Yisrael soon with Mashiach or before Mashiach. Meher of Yemen.